Welcome to the Creativity Lab, the podcast that shows how to channel your creativity to live your best, most beautiful life. And now here's your host, director of the Creativity Lab at West Los Angeles College, Harvard PhD, TV writer and professor, Dr. Catherine Boutry. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Each episode, we discuss a creative approach to life's challenges. Today, co-host Dr. Stella Setka and I talk to playwright and television writer Sophia Levitsky-Weitz about humanizing flawed, real-life people and turning them into characters, complicated relationships both on and off screen, letting ideas percolate, and the love of revising. Sophia Levitsky-Weitz is a playwright and TV film writer who splits her time between Brooklyn and Los Angeles. She's written for Hulu's The Dropout, FX's The Bear, and Gaslit for Stars. Her play, This Party Sucks, will be produced on Broadway next year. Her musical, Nostalgia Night, was produced in winter 2022. She's worked on several movies with Michael Showalter, including Fox Searchlight's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. My co-host, Della Setka, is Associate Professor of English at West LA College and the author of Empathy and the Phantasmic in Ethnic American Trauma Narratives, which looks at the way that authors of Black, Jewish, and Indigenous descent employ culturally specific supernatural elements as a way of helping readers connect to historical traumas, such as enslavement and genocide. Sophia and Stella, thank you both so much for being with us today. Talk about how you became a writer. Um, so I definitely am one of those people that sort of as a child was right like writing was my my family can attest like I was always sort of performing and writing and that was kind of the way that I moved through the world and so that brought me into acting and directing and I sort of was was very into theater and performing arts and then separately kind of writing my little like poems and stories and like plays for the neighborhood but I'd really se- sort of segmented it out um, in adolescence and then um, I went to an arts high school. I went to Orange County High School of the Arts and got to do sort of all sorts of things there. And um, and then as I graduated, went into I went to Loyola Marymount University and became a theater major. And similarly, was like I write, and then there's theater, and I just didn't want to combine them. I was like afraid of it. In my head, I was like plays are the hardest possible thing that you could do. Like I, I could never write a play, and I was like writing novels and stories, and um, and then Beth Henley was teaching at Loyola Marymount, and she's an amazing playwright. And I was like, well, I have to take a class. It was really hard. It's really, really hard. You have to be really good at dialogue. You have to show everything that happens on a stage. You can't. You don't have any internal tricks that you can do. So then at the end of college, I was like, I love school. I want to go to graduate school. And I was I loved acting, directing, and writing. But I was like, what do I want to what do I want to have as a skill? Like, what do I want to actually like go study? And um, it was writing, it was playwriting. And so I looked for programs that were, you know, theater was my passion, but I was really excited about potentially going into film and TV. And and I think for some playwrights, it's like, I'll make money that way, but theater's my thing. So I ended up um, luckily at Northwestern and they have a dual degree program there. And I just like really like worked hard. Like I just was like practicing all the time. I was like writing a ton, was trying to get better. Like I really came into it having written like one play. and like 1.5 plays and I really was like I want to get good at this thing like I want to work really hard and and do it and so the faculty there was amazing there are a bunch of playwrights that are also working in film and TV um, and my mentor there who's a playwright uh, named Thomas Bradshaw he really gave me this advice where he said look like if you want to do TV and I was like I do he was like go to New York 
be a playwright, like ingratiate yourself to like the scene there and really put the time in, like take people out to coffee, go to the bars, go to the show. And then when you want to do TV, you're going to exit the elevator on a different floor. Mm. And and they're just gonna take you more seriously or whatever. So I really took that to heart. And he was like, go to New York while you're young, while you have energy. He's like, don't, because I was planning to come back to LA, my family's here, like I was like ready. So I was like, okay, I'm 25, I'm gonna go to New York. And you know, I did, I did the thing there and it's hard and I was very poor and like, you know, tutoring like, horrible children like in South Brooklyn and like <laughs> and like you know living with my partner and we're both trying to do this thing and um, doing all the short plays you do and meeting the people and sort of putting the time in and people ask me like how did you make the transition from theater into film and TV and everyone has a different path there's no like one way to do it I really followed this sort of advice from Thomas Bradshaw um, but if I kind of think about it it really is two things it's like over the course of a decade, truly, just like building relationships, like genuinely wanting to be around people. Like TV and film and theater are both industries that require you to be around people all the time. And it's really at the end of the day, like people who wanna be around you and people, if you're someone that people wanna spend time with, they value your opinion, you're a good person. Obviously that's not always the case, but I try to surround myself with those people. That's who I, my community has sort of become. And so, you know, building those relationships over the course of a decade, following up with people, and, and genuinely not like to get something, but to really like, if I like someone, I would email them. If I liked their work, if I, you know, and it was about like, can you just talk to me? And, and people are doing this to me now, you know, and I, I will always take a call from a younger artist and have a conversation with them. So many people did that for me. Um, secondly, it's really this one play that I have, which is like, a, you know, it's just one of those things where I wrote this play, it came from, a period of um, intense pain and, and heartbreak mm -hmm. and um, people just really responded to it and this one play has really gotten me most of my TV work and film work um, because I think people just respond to the sort of like rawness in it. So the way I would translate into that into advice would be like keep writing, keep creating, but also like write the truest thing, like write the thing that is painful. I remember finishing this play, the first draft, and it was like I wrote like 65 pages in 24 hours, like really fast, like clearly wanted to be, like had something I'd been like thinking about for a while. And and I sent it to a friend and I was like, is this horrible? You know, I was, I was like, what is going on? And, and he was like, I think this is actually like some, like really big. I think this is gonna be something really big. And and it came from this place of, of pain and questioning. Um, you know, and then a lot of the work I can also, or jobs that I've had, I can trace back to someone recommending me because I did good work on something because I was willing, you know, Tammy Faye and The Dropout, for instance, have been because I've done work for Michael Showalter. And, you know, you'll run into these people, I think many people in Hollywood, like, who really believe in, like, you know, the ethical sort of exchange of, like, if you, you know, they're, they're good to you. They're like, if you do good work for me, if you show up, like, I am going to thank you with this next thing and sort of passing, passing that torch. There's this sort of implicit feeling for a lot of people in that industry. Um, but yeah, so it's really been the combination of that and and yeah, just reiterating again, I think TV particularly, you're spending a lot of time with people in these writers' rooms um, on set, in the process. And so being a good person and being someone that someone wants to be around, obviously paired with, you know, the ability and 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 talent and skill involved in being a writer is I've I've come to realize is so important. And and that that having that sense of collaborative um spirit is actually and for theater as well it's just slightly different but like is so important to people sort of continuing to want to work with you you mentioned that 
listening to people, just being out in the world and listening is a big part of your process when it comes to writing dialogue. Are there other practices or rituals that you engage in? Honestly, I've come to realize like one of the most important sort of rituals for me in any project is like discussion and long, and it's why I really like TV because that's kind of what TV is. But for theater, for anything, I just, it's hard for me to work through almost anything without having those like intense discussions. So really keeping those people close, um, who I do for them as well, you know, and it's an exchange, like whether they're artist friends or like my partner I mentioned is a journalist and he's amazing. You know, I'll talk about it. I'm working on a new play right now. And we stayed up till like two in the morning last week going through all the character dynamics as I'm trying to revise this play. And I think I'm just a, a very verbal person in that way. So. I can only get so far sitting in a room alone. I need to have other people. And I really missed that over COVID, like theaters like that too, where you bring a play in and you sit around a table and you have these big discussions. And so for this new play, I got to do that in New York last week while I was in town. I had a workshop of this new play and we read through the draft, which is needs a lot of work, but it's very new. And then for two hours, you know, me and the six actors and the director just talked about it. And that it's it's like, I almost get to a point in my process where if I don't have those conversations, it's impossible and I can't move forward. This is always strikes me with artists and creatives. There's two parts of you, really. There's the part that has to market mm -hmm. your work and the part of you that has to create the work, mm -hmm. which requires an immense amount of vulnerability. What is your typical day like? Do you have certain days where you market and certain days where you create? How do you negotiate that balance? A big shifting point in my career was like getting uh, reps, like getting agent, uh, agents and a manager, because it actually like allows you to, to not do as much of that. Like you, it takes the burden away a little bit because I did spend like most of my 20s, which is like what I would call the hustle of like, you know, self-producing, like, running around trying to get people to come to my little like reading in Brooklyn, like, you know, getting people to have coffee with me, like creating my own poster on Instagram to like invite people to something. And 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 a big part of it, I, I got representation around like 28, 29, and it just allowed me to actually relax about that stuff a little bit and, and focus more on the creating. And I think like, I feel lucky because I think I had the energy to do both in my 20s. And now that kind of stuff, can be really draining. It can be really draining. So having someone kind of take the burden away and and able to like and be able to parse through that stuff for you and also kind of like filter a little bit of it like like they don't send me, you know, everyone who contacts them. I devote like late morning early afternoon to like what I'd call administrative stuff. So like I'll I I'll email, I'll do my emailing, I'll do the like less fun stuff and I'll get that out of the way. And then it really depends. Like I, I found that through since adolescence, I'm a night writer. So I, I think part of that is like having access to like a creative sort of witchy, spooky space at night. But on a really practical level, it's also just when like no one's bothering me and like I can actually like focus. Um, but I spent a lot of time, particularly in my twenties, feeling guilty about that and and sort of being told by mentors or you know just seeing when, you know, historically people have written that like I should be writing in the morning and I should be like waking up every morning and like getting right to it. And like, first of all, I'm not a morning person. Second of all, like <laughs> I, there's no, my creative brain doesn't work that way, you know? And and I need to like rest into a situation. Um, and the other part of that is like, I don't write every day. I don't create every day. And I think that um, for some people that works really well. For me, I just feel guilty if I tell myself I have to do that because 
it's not how my creativity works. So I'll spend, and it sounds crazy to some people, but like I'll not write like a word of anything substantial for like four months. And then I'll write like 150 pages in a week because it's been percolating. It's been, it's been waiting. It's been, you know, it's been like ruminating for me. Um, and TV is different obviously because there's a structure that you have and it's less in your control. But for my like theater and creative work, I've learned that, and I still get guilty about it, but I've learned that like, if I try to force it, I'm just gonna end up feeling guilty and miserable. Um, but I just, so I was just at this residency for a month, um, McDowell, which is kind of the best of the best, like artist residency. And the reason it's so amazing is because they've really thought out every detail. So they feed you, they like deliver your lunch in a little picnic basket to your studio. They like, there's like walks you can go on. There's these communal dinners with other artists. And it was really interesting to be there for a month and think about like, okay, without any of the life stuff, like when is my creative time? And I was able there to like work in the afternoon to like have, you know, different experiences of my sort of work life. But I also got to let go of the sort of, yeah, marketing side, like truly just shut off for a month. And and I do think life is about finding that, that balance because I personally will, I'll like, my form of procrastination is like, well, I have all this. Like, I, I can like be very productive and procrastinating, but it's still not creative. You know, I can be like, oh, I'm like, I'm like doing stuff for my career. So I don't have to be like writing right now, but then sort of balancing those two things. But it's been, it's been an interesting sort of balance. Can I ask a tiny follow up? Yes. I'm just <laughs> interested in those four months of incubation. Yeah. Do you, how do you work on it passively? Do you work on it or you just put it completely out of your mind or do you? It really depends on the project. So I would say like, for instance, this play that I just wrote, I realized, I kept telling people I haven't written a play in two and a half years. And then I realized actually thinking about it, it's been four years. And I was like, that's crazy. Like I call myself a playwright. I haven't written a play. You know, I'd written some short plays. I'd done, you know, I'd started a couple that I'd thrown out. Um, and this was an idea that I'd had two years previous. And I'd had these discussions about it with friends. Um, it had started as a commission, so we had, we had, I had, again, as a procrastination technique, I think, asked to kind of meet with people and talk about it because the play itself is about theater. So I wanted to talk to people about a specific experience in theater. And um, and I listened to these sessions. I had like journaled about it. And then, and then I just like, I think part of it was quarantine and COVID. Like I'd had a block about theater, so I really couldn't do it. But in general with a project, I would say like, there'll be times where I'll like, yeah, I'll, I call it journaling about it because really it's just like me taking kind of thoughts, fragments, taking notes and discussions. Again, like being able to talk about it with people. Um, and I think right before I went to McDowell, I was like, I'm ready. Like it was like a planned abandon. I was like, I'm ready. Like this is it. I'm going to do it here. And then we had to quarantine the first five days. And so I was like alone, alone. And it was very intense. And I wrote like 60 pages in those first five days because it was clearly like ready. Like it was like something that I had been kind of prepping for. Um, but yeah, it's sort of a combination of like, it's it's happening. You know, like, like it, what's funny about those moments is like, and we all talked about this at McDowell because it's all different types of writers and everyone sort of shared a different version of this experience. Like some people called it a download or some people called it a blackout or like something where, and that's how I felt where it's just like, here it is. And then you just like <laughs> kind of do it. Yeah, and then, and then I call it like, you have to be a detective in your own work and like, kind of figure out what that means. And that's the revising process, which I also love. Like to me that that's also my two brains is like the like writing drafting part and then the like revising detective part, which is like, they feel very separate. But um, but yeah, just 
it's like clearly it was somewhere, you know, and like it was, it, I was working on it because when I did it, it was just like straight up, like listening, listen. And that's how I write, which is that it's like I hear, I just hear it. And so then it's like just getting it out on paper. You've done such an amazing job in your career of adapting real life situations in your writing. But I imagine that must present some challenges. I think that as a society, we've become sort of more and more interested in real life stories. And in the TV landscape, that becomes like these big cultural moments that we're all sort of following and then we get to watch them fictionalized. Um, and for me with my playwriting, I think it's become, you know, what are these central questions that are so personal and how can I kind of put them into a story that feels universal, that's like both specific and, um, you know, that everyone can relate to in a certain way. So it's funny to see, like, as I sort of, like, bifurcate my TV and my theater lives, like, that sort of has permeated both. Um, I think from a TV perspective, you know, I've worked on this, I worked on a show about Elizabeth Holmes, and then I worked on a show about uh, Martha Mitchell and Watergate, and um, in both of those, you know, these are figures that, to some degree, people are either familiar uh, about or have, you know, not known anything. Like Martha Mitchell is a really interesting case because she had like 76% name recognition at the time and then like barely anyone knows who she is now. So it's this story that um, is sort of like bringing her back into the spotlight but in a different perspective. And I think, uh, so I've worked on three shows and so two of, these are two of them and the other one is a fictional story and it takes place at a restaurant and that's coming out next month. And uh, I think working from a research perspective, or even the eyes of Tammy Faye as well, like these are all three women that are real women that we may or may not recognize. And I think the challenges are like, how do you create a story that um, is compelling, is gripping, is new, and also humanizing and, and showing these women as being complicated and to different degrees, right? You have Martha Mitchell, she's a, you know, she was a conservative woman. She was um, part of a presidential, you know, world and campaign um, that had a lot of problematic, you know, opinions. And um, but she also, you know, led really fiercely and personally in in what she believed in. And Tammy Faye, to some degree, is also like that, though also complicated. So I think it's about sort of um, starting. I mean, I'm someone as a writer where I start from character first and foremost in general, whether that character is fictionalized based on someone or like fully, fully based on someone. And it's just more interesting when characters have layers and they contradict themselves. I'm generally like really attracted to contradiction, like even in my life, like I think all my <laughs> friends are, you know, contradictions. I think I'm a contradiction and it just makes a more interesting character. Um, and so I think, uh, in working on these projects based on real people, you do that research and you kind of become a detective into the life of this person. Um, and obviously, like for those three characters, it really varies. Like one of them's still alive. Um, they all have people feel really strongly about sort of the way that they exist in the world. And um, and yeah, I think it's just about being honest and and finding a story that is not afraid of confronting those contradictions, I would say, and and finding the humanity inside of that, um, which is like for me an ethical pursuit, but it's also first and foremost a creative pursuit because it's just gonna be a more interesting story if those characters have those layers. And so I always try to start from, from that perspective. Do you feel conflicted ever if your politics don't align, you don't personally agree? 
with what totally. your characters have done. How do you manage that? It's very important to not start from a place of fear. Like I think if you're starting, if you're a writer and you're starting, like all different jobs have different like roles and how to portray a story like this. Like my partner's a journalist and so his role in talking about someone is really different than my role as a creator or a storyteller. And so I think that um, it's not really up up to a creator or storyteller to tell someone what to think about someone. It's about like crafting a story that um, has all the nuances, has all of the sort of highs and lows. Um, but also like I think for these three women, like gender is really important in how they were perceived. And even if I disagree with lots or some of um, the way that they were in their lives or careers, I think that their gender is not separate from the way that they were perceived by the world. And so even from a starting point, you know, sharing that perspective is already gonna give people a different window into who that person was. And like Tammy Faye, for instance, like, you know, she's someone who was a part of an extremely harmful sort of group of people that caused a lot of harm to a lot of people. But she also managed to, you know, speak out about AIDS, speak out about, um, you know, just basically loving everyone and even though it contradicted a lot of sort of stuff that ended up happening. I think at the end of the day, I'm interested in writing about seeing, consuming, creating work about people and, and not about like what they represent at the end of the day. Like what we, I think, are interested in is the humanity and the person behind that and people are complicated and messy. You tell stories about women who are very powerful in their own right, but one of the things I'm really interested in is the way that you also tell the stories of their very complex relationships with their partners. Um, what is your way into that particular piece of storytelling? It's it's become sort of my niche. Like I feel like it's like now that when I'm hired, like it's either spoken or unspoken, but like I have sort of become like the de facto person for these stories to, yeah, talk about these really complicated relationship arcs. And yeah, particularly between, um, between like in a hetero, like male, female, marriage relationship, um, we see it kind of time and time again. And I think I sort of fell into that um, first on a really practical level because um, the main way that I get hired is through a play of mine. And this play um, deals with a central relationship between an artist couple where the man is more successful than the woman and they do the same thing. And the play is interested in that question, which is like, what does it mean to be a woman artist in relationship to a man and how do you function? in society, um, dealing with self-sabotage and the societal pressure sort of to be in that role. And that really came from a personal experience that I had where I was in this relationship and I was starting to feel, you know, I describe it as like, uh, I felt like I was trapped in a room and, and I was like clawing at the sides of my own body, like the walls of my own body and, and realizing that, you know, I woke up and, and was part of this cycle that has existed in so many forms for thousands of years. And that was like not comforting. That was like, that was like terrifying. And so in working through that, I wrote this play and then um, through that have sort of seen the ways that this is just, as I recognized over and over again, a cycle that continues, um, you know, truly since ancient times. And this, this idea of these gender roles and, you know, it manifests in all these different ways. I think my way in is also like, similarly, I'm interested in the messiness of it. So I'm more interested in a couple that has real love between them. And there is actually a real love connection. I think in all of these TV projects I've worked on and Tammy Faye as a film project and the play that I have, like it's not about a toxic relationship where, you know, it's, it's everyone immediately is like, this should be done. And like, this is, this is categorically bad for both parties. 
And yet we all are a part of these societies that affect the way that we behave and move through the world. And and what does it feel like to, to sort of try to move through that and out of it? And you have someone like Sonny and Elizabeth Holmes where, you know, there's this interesting power dynamic and it's complicated. And I think a lesser show, and this is, you know, to the credit of Liz Merriweather, the creator, like a lesser show would have would have just been like, oh, this is a creepy power dynamic and like mm. he's creepy or, you know, she's a megalomaniac and like using him. But instead, and, and work that I did on that show, one thing I did is I wrote out for Liz like a five page essay about what I believed their character arc should be in the show, which is like separate than we don't know how their real life, you know, we have their text messages, whatever. But to me, I'm interested in like, sure it's real, but who are they as characters in this show? And so I wrote like a truly a five page essay sort of chronicling how I felt their emotional arc should be throughout the show from episode one to episode eight and where they should be at each episode. And to me, I think that came through really clearly in the show, which is that you can't really put your finger on it, um, but that we are all a product of society and sort of the cultures that we live in. But I'm interested also in inherent, like the power dynamic being also like a sexy place to be and like an exciting place and nuanced. And I think as a writer, I'm extremely interested in nuance and just less interested in like, I don't know, just being very clear about like, this is a bad thing, this is a good thing. We see over and over again these sort of hetero relationships uh, as these like, I don't know, microcosms for the larger world or society, but I'm more interested in like, how do you find the the humanity and the sort of real character inside of that? I was really struck in the dropout by that relationship, mm -hmm. actually. I thought it was so subtly done and completely believable, mm -hmm. as you're even surprised watching it as yeah. it's, and the Mitchells, oh my gosh, yes. what an amazing portrait of a relationship. Totally. How do you adapt that process, which is very much governed by your own you know, connection to the universe, mm -hmm, or that witchy mm -hmm. spooky hour, yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. How do you adapt that to the context of writing for television, mm -hmm. which is much more, as you said, like yeah. regimented? It's intense, you know, and I've had a few different types of experiences. I'll say with the two shows where I was in the writer's room, it's, you, you kind of do have that time. And that time is like, before you ever write a word, you're sitting in a room or a virtual room with a bunch of brilliant people just talking about characters and the world. And in some ways, like with The Dropout or Gaslit, it's based on a real world. So part of that is research, reading. And with The Bear, which is the third show I worked on, it's like, we're building this. Like, this is from the ground up. This is like, we're sharing stories from our lives. We're imagining, we're, we're like creating these characters together. And so you have, you know, Gaslit was four and a half months. The bear was like a five week mini room and then we came back for 12 weeks. So you really do actually have, the way I would, I've never thought about it this way actually until you asked, but I think that room time is like building in the practice of like listening and creating and accessing altogether. And the other side of that is like very practical, which is like I could pitch something and someone else could be like, okay, but what about this thing? And it's all of us like building on the same idea and like circling around what the truth, like the center truth of like the best possible, in, in a good room, the best possible version of what this thing could be. And that's so thrilling to me. Because as a playwright, I do that work alone at first. And, and it's amazing, but it's alone. And then I go to TV and I'm like, you, you're sharing that work. And it can be tense, it can be, but I find it like very inspirational. And it's made me a better playwright because I'm less precious also about my mm -hmm. stuff in that way, where like I worked on this musical in the winter and, you know, 
someone would say a line and I would be like, that's stupid, like say that instead. <laughs> Which like in the past I would've been like, I'm taking this away, I'm writing it in the lobby, I'm like trying these, and this time I'm like, no. Because TV, you don't have that, that kind of thing. But then when you're working on a script in TV, it feel it does feel in some ways like it's almost like a sped up version of what I do as a playwright, and I don't want to say it's less creative, but it does feel more um, functional, I would say. And so, like, because you're slipping into these characters, and you're also, you know, I've, I haven't had my own show yet. Like, hopefully, I will, but you also are serving the vision of a showrunner, mm-hmm. and so because of that, you're you know they're going to rewrite what you write you know that you have to kind of fit their tone and their voice. And it's different based on what show it is, but having that understanding, you're also kind of fitting into that. And for instance, with Tammy Fair, The Dropout, these are scripts that have already been in process. So I'm coming in and I'm also trying to like, it's something that I've become very good at, but it's very different, which is like, I'm matching a voice or a tone that's already there and I'm trying to like make it even better by like slipping into it. And it feels almost like this, in playwriting I can like luxuriate a little bit. (laughs) And with TV it's like, boom, like when you're doing it, you have to like find your way in really fast. And that's also practice. Like I've gotten better at that every time. And and it's, it's definitely a different kind of challenge. I am abandoning my final question for a different one because I'm so fascinated to hear how you make the revision process fun. Totally. That is not something I hear very often, and I want to, please, tell us your I secret. I love revising. I really love revising, and um, it, 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 it can be really hard. Like, it's not that it's, ju- it's, like, it's just all fun and games, but I think that I've learned that, you know, I, I really do feel like I have these two sides of myself, and one, I almost have no control over. Like, that side of me is, like, yeah, the pure, like, abandoned, unconscious, whatever you want to call it, access to, like, what's, you know, the the pool of unconsciousness, the divine, and whatever it is, like, ancestor. You know, it's like, that's that side. And that one, like, I don't, I don't really know her. You know, like, I know her, but I don't, like, she does her own thing. Whereas, like, I feel like the, the self, the ego that I have that comes in for revising, I have control, and that's exciting, and also, like, because of that, like I said earlier, like I, I describe it as like I get to be a detective into my own process or into my own work or product. And and what's so cool is like I look for clues. Like I really feel that way. I'm like I look for clues. Like everything is there. It's all there. But I need to figure out the order. Often I, I write, so I handwrite and I completely write like out of order. So a lot of that process is being like ordering like a puzzle piece. Like where do things go? And then like figuring out what is the central core thing that I'm trying to say here and figuring out the best way to say it. And like, I like to believe that when I finish a first draft of some sort, that that all the pieces are there and I just need to figure out like how to translate them and how to interpret them. And, you know, sometimes that ends in complete frustration and I abandon a project, like absolutely. But most of the time it is this like, long, exacting, exciting process that can be, you know, can be really intense, but it's leading to some like larger truth. And, and I just find that, like, I find it very exciting and I have control over it. I think that's probably why why I like revising also, because it, it's a place where I can kind of come in and like shape things. But um, yeah, it's certainly not always fun, but I love fun, that. Yeah. Does the wild woman creator ever fight with the... Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I also think, like, she takes a lot of breaks. So, you know, I mean? she's like, she works when she works, and then she's like, she's you can take it from that. here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she's, like, happy to be, like, you know. But then that's when I get, like, I the weird, the handwriting thing I've always thought is really interesting because 
I try to cheat sometimes when I'm revising because at that point I've already written it up or most of it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna finish this scene. Like I'll just type it like, cause it's like whatever. And then if I get past like three lines, then it's like, no, it's garbage because I need to go back to handwriting and I need to access that other part again. And so like there is times where she's like, fine, I'll come, I'll come in, <laughs> I'll come in and help. Like you need help now because that side of me is not mm -hmm. good at the creative part. It's, or it's creative, but it's creative problem solving. It's yeah. not like creation. And so kind of they, they've figured out a way to, to do it. But like, yeah, she'll, I mean, I feel like sometimes she takes like a year off, like, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I'm just here trying to like problem solve. But yeah, now I sound insane, but. <laughs> Still, do you have last question? Uh, I sure. could talk to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you have some creating to do. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. A lot of your creative work draws on your cultural background, right? You're, you're a Jewish woman um, and you are a practicing Jew. Can you say more about how um, these influences find themselves into your work? So I was raised um, reformed Jewish, my mom teaches. Um, Jewish lit and she's a Jewish scholar and we've lived um, abroad so we lived in uh, Warsaw Poland when I was 11 she taught the Holocaust and we've traveled a lot traveled to Israel um, Eastern Europe and so on one end I think like having these um, experiences in other countries and sort of looking at them through my mom's perspective is always through like literature and history and the stories of like actual human beings um, and that has had a huge effect on my work, I think. And then, and then also this idea of questioning, which I was always taught that um, Judaism is about questioning. It's not about answering. So it's like you get to answers through continuing to question and circling around a story and getting. And again, kind of how I talked about a TV room, right? And like, or even I mean, now that I'm now I'm saying it, I'm realizing it's also like kind of my process in in creating anything, which is like, how do you um, not not settle for what maybe the easy answer is. How do you continue to like circle, 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 circle and get to the core of it? And you know, that's the Talmud. The Talmud is a text that works with the source material of the Torah. And one rabbi wrote in a circle around that about what the commentary about the, that Torah portion. Then another rabbi wrote in a circle around that rabbi about that rabbi's commentary and the Torah portion and like so on and so forth in this concentric circle structure. and. I think, you know, on a very literal level, I have a play that like tries to mimic that structure. Um, and I also have a play that takes place over the course of a Passover Seder. So I have I have some, you know, literal sort of Jewish themes or um, concepts in my work, but it doesn't matter even if the play isn't literally about a Jewish experience. I consider it a Jewish play because I think it's just intrinsically linked with the way that I view the world, which is about questioning, about um, intellectual pursuit about humanity, about um, ethics. I mean, I had this amazing class at Torah school when I was 10, it was in fifth grade, it was a Jewish ethics class and we were a bunch of 10 year olds and we had this book about like these really intense real life scenarios and every class we would talk about like, what does Judaism say is like the, the answer here? You know, something from like, if your worst enemy and your dog are both, like your beloved dog are drowning and you can only save oh one God. of them. Who do you say? You know, we're 10, yeah, we're like 10 years old. Like I remember this so vividly, wow. you know, and and it was really intense, but. What did I, you say? I think I said, well, I said my dog, but <laughs> but man. but Judaism says you save a human life. But, um, but I think what was amazing was it wasn't about like, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer. It was about like, why would we get to this answer? And what are the discussions we have? You know, we talked about abortion. We talked about, you know, it was so much, like real life heavy stuff 
And I remember, I just remember really, I think about this class a lot because I remember really deeply feeling like I was treated like an adult and like a, a real person, like a whole person. And so I feel really lucky to have had, you know, so many countless discussions in my family as well, like where I was treated like a wise, smart, full person, even at a young age. And I think that has affected my work like so, so, so deeply because I'm always trying to like challenge myself and I'm always trying to challenge um, anyone who consumes my art. I think I don't want the easy answer. I don't, I want subtlety, I want nuance. And that to me feels intrinsically linked with what you learn in Judaism, which is that, you know, particularly reform Judaism and the way that I was raised, which is that like, yeah, there is no easy answer. And all we can do is continue to discuss and have these conversations and try to be as, as human and compassionate as possible. And so that I really try to follow that in my work, even, even when I'm not even like consciously thinking of it, I think it, it comes across. That is so beautiful. Thank you both for being with us today. This was amazing. Thanks for having us.